Anyway, hey, glad that you're here this morning. Um, a couple weeks ago, it was fun. We went to, I went to a movie with a friend of mine, and it was a 3D movie. You guys ever see a 3D movie? Do you guys like 3D? Raise your hand if you like seeing movies in 3D. I'm curious. I bet, yeah, I kind of feel like it's not that big of an attraction for me, but the movie that we saw was, um, uh, so it was like one of the superhero movies, and there's like great like fight sequences in it, you know, like battle sequences. And that's cool to see in 3D, you know, like when there's things like flying at you, you're literally in your seat, you're like, whoa, like think stuff's going to hit you or something. But it got me thinking um, this past week, do you ever feel like you're in a battle? Like in your own life? Do you ever feel like you're in a battle? Like I've never been um, in a military battle before, you know, I was never part of a, a military. I've never had people trying to, to shoot me and trying to kill me. Some of you have. I have great respect for people that have sacrificed uh, so much to protect us. But I've, never, I've never had that experience in my own life. But I feel like I've been in active combat for like the last 20 years of my life. And it's different. You know, it's the battle I've been in looks different. It's not as obvious. It's kind of a secret battle uh, because it goes on inside of me. And so most of the time, uh, it's happening, it's going on, and no one is aware of it except me because it's going on inside of me, inside of my head. And so I, I feel this. It happens sometimes when, uh, you know, I look and I, and I find something that I, I want, you know, like something I want to buy. I have, I have no need for it whatsoever, but I see it and I'm like, oh, I want that. And I feel like that tug, you know what I'm talking about? I feel that tug inside of me, like, just buy it, you know? Like, why don't you? Why don't you just spend the money on it? It happens for me when I see somebody who has lots of money. We were watching the, um, the uh, three-point contest and dunk contest last night, All-Star Weekend, NBA All-Star Weekend. You know, all these guys are so wealthy. And sometimes I see that and I think, man, how nice would that be to never have to worry about money? Like, never have to worry about money again for the rest of my life. I feel this battle inside of me. I feel it when, you know, I see somebody whose life appears stress-free. Like, no one's life is stress-free, but there's people that I look at, and I'm like, man, it must be nice to not have worries. It must be nice to not have stress and constantly feel pressures. It happens for me, you know, when I uh, walk into a convenience store, and I walk past, past the magazine rack, and I see an attractive girl on the cover of a magazine in a bathing suit, and I feel that temptation, that little voice in the back of my head that says, look again, take a second look. It happens for me when I see uh, successful people, you know, that have accomplished a lot, and I start to think in my mind, well, I'm as talented as they are, or I've got as many gifts as they do. It happens to me when I hear people starting to complain about stuff and bemoan things and I feel that desire like yeah you're right and I want to join in and I want to agree agree with them and I want to bemoan the things that they're bemoaning like I almost always feel this battle inside of me and it looks different it, it looks different in different contexts in different ways but I almost always feel it and sometimes I feel like I'm strong in the battle and sometimes I feel like I'm very weak in the battle Sometimes I've won the battle that day or that moment, that instance. And then there's other times that I've lost the battle. Sometimes I overcome in the battle. And sometimes I get overcome in my battle. And sometimes I don't even know who I'm fighting, you know? Like, I don't even know who my adversary is. Like, who am I fighting in this battle? Is it, is it other people and, like, their influences that they're bringing me? 
Is it, is it the devil that I'm fighting? Is it myself that I'm fighting? Sometimes I don't even know who I'm fighting. Can, can we just be honest this weekend? Like, it's, it's okay to be honest in church. It's actually good to be honest in church. We all feel this battle, right? It rages on inside of our minds, inside of our hearts, all of the time. And some days, the way that we fight can lead us to feelings of triumph, of strength, of encouragement, of victory. And then other days, the ways that we fight, or maybe the ways that we don't fight, can lead us to feelings of defeat, and weakness, and discouragement, and failure. Well, I hope this weekend to, uh, to be able to encourage you and to give us hope, because I think what we're going to see as we dig in, we're going to see that we're not fighting a losing fight. We're not fighting a losing battle. We can overcome in the battle that we all face every day in our minds and in our hearts. I can overcome and you can overcome. And John tells us in the book that we're studying how we can overcome, how we can have victory in this life and how really Jesus has already overcome. The victory, the big victory has already been won. And so what we're gonna dig into is how we can, how we can be successful, how we can be victorious living our lives here today. So I'm excited to dig into this with you. So we're going to continue this week in the study that we've been doing. We've been uh, in the last three weeks in a little book. It's called a book. Really, it's a letter in the Bible toward the end of our Bibles called 1 John. And throughout this series, um, I've been challenging you. We've been challenging each other, really, to read through this entire book uh, at least one time each week which sounds like a big deal. Read an entire book each week. It takes 15 minutes, 15 or 20 minutes. It's five chapters. It's not that long. But we said, man, maybe if we would do that together as a church family, like as a body, then we would dig into this stuff when we're together. And then we discuss some of this stuff. Like imagine what God could rub into our hearts. Imagine what he could teach us through this. And I said, you won't regret it. You know, like if we read this, we're not going to regret it later. And I promise you, we'll get to know Jesus better. So I hope that you've had a chance to, this past week, to dig into 1 John and read through it. If you haven't, you got another week coming up this, uh, to do that as well. But we said, man, when you do it, when you read, like, don't just read and then put the Bible down. Like, we can be inclined to do that. You know, like, okay, I got, I got 15 minutes. Here we go. You read as fast as you can, you put it down, you go on the rest of your day. He said, man, what if, what if we just slowed down? And we really listen to what God was speaking to our hearts, which it takes slowing down and quieting our lives in order to hear, in order to listen. And what if we thought as we're reading how we could apply it to our lives? Like, how does God want me to take what I'm reading right now and go live it out immediately? How does he want me to apply this to my life? And then one of the things that I'm a big believer in, my, wife, my wife's Marcia, she's a saint. I love to like discuss stuff. Like I love to like talk about the stuff that I'm learning and get other people's thoughts and opinions because it helps me understand things better. It helps me process things. And so I hope that you get a chance to do that as well. Maybe that's with you know, a spouse. Maybe that's with a friend. We have grace groups here. We have a bunch of different groups that meet throughout the week that most of them, most of the time, follow right along with the sermon and allows you a chance to just kind of process and dig in together and apply it together. So anyway, I hope that I'll get up my soapbox. I hope that you had a chance to do that this past week, and I hope that you get a chance to do it this week as well. So why don't we do this? Why don't we flip open in our Bibles to 1 John? So if you've got a Bible, flip it open. 1 John's uh, almost at the back of the Bible, fifth to last book of the Bible. In the church Bibles, it's page 986, 986. 
as you're flipping there, let me, let me give you just a real quick recap. So the first week of this series, I gave you kind of the 30,000 foot view of 1 John and talked a little bit about what it was about, big themes and stuff. I'm not going to go back through all of that, but just quickly, I want to give you um, three big picture key themes throughout 1 John that we've been talking about. So the first one we said is, one of the things that John talks about over and over again is my life matters, Right? My life matters. The way that I live my life matters. It matters to God and it matters to other people. We said we're always influencing people, whether we know it or not, whether we care or not, we're always influencing and impacting other people by the way that we live our lives. And we said God cares how we live too. Like he genuinely, he shows us how to live and he genuinely cares how we live. And we said, and actually the way that we live is a direct reflection of our relationship with God. Right? So if I say, yeah, I love Jesus with all my heart. He's the most important thing to me. But my life looks nothing like Jesus' life. How much do I really love Jesus? Like how important to me is he really? Right? So, we said, so John kind of interacts with that back and forth in a lot of different ways throughout this book. My life matters to God. My life matters to other people. That's the first thing. The second thing is Jesus must be my focus and my anchor. John interacts with that lots of different ways throughout this book. Jesus should be our focus and our anchor. And we use this metaphor of the ocean, of like being on a beach, right? And so when you're in the ocean, you're out in it, and especially if you're looking out into the water, you start to drift. The currents start to move you down the shore, and you don't even realize it. And we said, Jesus is like that anchor for us. He anchors us in place so that we're not drifting, so that we're not moved about by the currents of life. And we said, he's like that focus, that spot on the horizon for us, that if we see ourselves starting to drift, we can go, oh, okay, I'm drifting. I need, I need to reorient myself, right? And so John talks about that over and over again. Jesus has got to be our focus. He's the one that anchors us in truth. And we said, if we, if we grab hold of both of those things, my life matters, Jesus must be my focus and my anchor, it gives us an incredible confidence of eternity and a, a, conf, a certainty of what's to come, a certainty for eternity. And so when I grab hold of that and I go, yeah, man, Jesus, he's, he's, my, he's my anchor, he's my focus in my life, he's the center of my life, and I realize my life matters to him and my life matters to others, then I look at eternity and I go, I'm not afraid of it. This life's going to end for all of us. We, we know that at one point or another. But when Jesus is our focus and anchor and we realize our lives matter, we go, I'm not scared for the future. I have a confidence and a certainty that I'm going to be with God when this life ends, where there's no more pain, there's no more sorrow, there's no more struggle, there's no more suffering, there's no more sickness and death, right? So that's kind of the big picture, 30,000 foot view of 1 John. He interacts with that over and over again in lots of different ways throughout this letter. And so this morning, we're going to continue to kind of dive bomb into some specifics here. So we're going to be in chapter 2. Hopefully you're there in your Bibles. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 15. So this is what John writes. This is a little different. This may uh, sound different than some other things that you've uh, read in the Bible before. This is what he writes. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So I don't know what you think when you read that. Like, have you ever heard that before? You know, he says, don't love the world or anything in the world. It's kind of contrary to a lot of what we talk about God saying or believing or being in the Bible. Like, wait a minute, I thought I was supposed to love. Like, I thought that was part of what it means to be a Christian, 
right? It sounds very different than things like in chapter 4, John says, the same exact book, chapter 4, John says, God is love. Earlier in uh, what, chapter 1, we said, chapter 2, we said God is light, right? In chapter 4, he says, God is love. That sounds really different than do not love the world. How about this? In John 3, 16, probably the most famous passage in all of the Bible, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Sounds really different, right? How about this? Psalm 136. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Like those passages sound almost contradictory, really, to what John writes here in the beginning of chapter 2. And so what does it mean that we're not supposed to love the world? What does it mean that we're not supposed to have love anything in the world? What does that mean for us? Well, I think it's helpful for us to talk about what it doesn't mean first. Because that's actually very important and it will help us understand what it does mean. One of the things it doesn't mean, what John doesn't mean by when he says don't love the world, he's not talking about the natural world. He's not talking about the physical world like the earth. He's not saying don't love the earth, don't love the natural world. We know that because if you read the beginning of our Bibles, when God created the world, when he created everything, he created it and he said it was what? Good, right? So that's not what he means when he says don't love the world or anything in the world. It also doesn't mean people. He's not talking about people. In fact, we are told over and over and over again that Jesus' followers should be people that love other people. In fact, when you get to chapters 3 and 4, which we're going to look at next week, next week we're going to talk about love. That's like the whole time. We're going to talk about what it means, what is our motivation to love other people. And so clearly that's not what he's talking about. You look at what Jesus said in John 13, he's very clear. He says, a new command I give you, these are Jesus' own words, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So, so when John says don't love the world, he's not talking about the natural world. He's not talking about the earth. He's not talking about people. He's also not talking about truth. Like it doesn't mean that we're not supposed to love the truths of the natural world. Like there are truths in this world that are not religious truths right? They're just, they're secular. They're, they're just true. These are things like, you know, with, within science and engineering and philosophy and psychology. John's not saying, don't love those things. They're worldly. That's not what he's talking about. Worldly or natural truths are great. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We said, man, if we could just encourage people to seek truth, period, we would be so far ahead because I believe with all my heart, if, we, if people would seek truth, it will lead you to the cross, it will lead us to Jesus. It's like, we're not against truth. We believe in truth because we believe that all truth is God's truth. If it's true, then God created it to be true. And so when John says, don't love the world, he's not talking about the natural world. He's not talking about people. He's not talking about truth. So what does he mean? What in the world or about the world are we not supposed to love? Well, what if I said it this way? What if we kind of rephrase what John said? What if he said it this way? Don't love worldliness. Or don't love the ways of the world. That sounds, that sounds a little bit different, right? Because our world kind of has ways about it. Our world kind of has philosophies of its own, doesn't it? Like what? Well, John gives us some examples here. He talks about the lust of the flesh. He talks about the lust of the eyes. He talks about the pride of life. Those are, those are some of the ways of the world. 
It, when you get to uh, the letter of, to the Galatians in the New Testament, another guy named Paul writes a letter to a group of people in Galatia, and he writes, and he tells, he kind of expands on some of the ways of the world. This is in Galatians chapter 5. He says, he gives us maybe a little bit bigger list. We'll throw it up there. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. It's a pretty long list, right? You look at that, it's interesting. If you look at that list, you look at that and you go, you know, I think every one of those things our world would say, especially our culture, our Western culture would say, it's fine. Like, it's fine. It may not be for me. I don't like it. But if that's your thing, then that's your thing. It's fine for you to be that way, right? But the ways of the world are different than the ways of God. Paul goes on and he actually talks about the ways of God. And I want you to take one quick look at that and then go to this next one. Compare that list to this list. So these are the ways of God, love, Joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's interesting. You look at that list and compare it. There's some of those things our world would say, no, 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 that's not actually important, right? It's interesting how different it is. So it's obvious that God establishes the ways of God, right? It's the ways of God, God's spirit. Who is it that establishes the ways of the world? It's interesting. I don't know if you ever thought about this before. Who establishes the ways of the world? God establishes the ways of God. Who establishes the ways of the world? Well, the Bible tells us, and actually lots of different places, uses different titles, but it's very clear. 2 Corinthians 4.4 calls the, the one who establishes the ways of the world the God of this age or the God of this world. John 14 and 12 calls him the prince of this world or the ruler is another translation of this world. Ephesians 2.2 calls him the prince of the power of the air. Who are all those referring to? Those are all titles. Kind of, who are they referring to? Satan. It's the devil, right? The devil establishes the ways of the world, at least according to the Bible. So the ways of the world, like get this in your mind, the ways of the world are godless and devil-filled. Kind of a weird way to say it, but in essence, that's what it is. Godless and devil-filled. And so John tells us to hate that. Hate the godless, devil-filled world. Not the people of the world. Not the world itself, but the empty, worthless lies of this world that will one day be wiped away. That's what he means by this. I like how a theologian David Wells says it. He says, we love the people of the world. Like, that's actually what Christians are supposed to do. But we do not love the sinful attitudes and values that they embrace. Make sense? It's a difference. When, when I was a kid, I loved magnets. Like, I don't know why. I know it's a weird. I confess, I actually still love magnets today. I think magnets are like the coolest things in the world. So when I was like 10 years old, I think it was third or fourth grade, somebody, a kid in my class, had like these two. They looked similar to that. Like they were flat magnets and they were really strong. I think his dad was like a mechanic or something. And he brought these things in and somehow I got them. I, I assume he gave them to me. Maybe I took them. I don't know. But somehow I got these magnets. And so I love these magnets. And I would like, it was fascinating to me. Like when you take, so these are, ma these are my kids' magnets. They drive us crazy because they make this noise all the time. So all you hear is 
this all the time. Like, put those magnets down, right? But as I was a kid, I loved to like walk around with the magnets and see what they would stick on and what they wouldn't stick on. And you'd be surprised sometimes. You're like, literally, I, I was walking around the church before you guys got here. And I'm like, well, it doesn't stick on my music stand. This is me- it's a metal music stand, right? But it does stick on the metal of the stage. So magnets are like fascinating to me. You know what a magnet is, right? A magnet is just a material that creates a magnetic field. That's all a magnet is. And then it, uh, it, it's drawn to, it connects with, it, it attracts certain other materials, like metals, for example. And a magnet, every magnet has two poles, right? That's what makes the magnetic field. It has a north pole and a south pole, just like our world. And with a magnet, the opposite poles attract. And so a north pole is attracted to a south pole. A south pole is attracted to a north pole. But the like poles are the opposite. They, re- they repel, right? Like that's just, that's just how magnets are. And so as a kid, I got these, these cool magnets and you know, I, I, I love playing with them and stuff. And so uh, I would like, the, the thing I tried to do the most, I think with the magnets, was take the two like poles and try to smush them together. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I've done that. You try, to, you try to get them to touch, and these are strong magnets. So I can never, no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't get the two like poles of these two magnets that I had as a kid to even touch. Now, imagine that there's a third magnet, okay? Imagine you got two magnets. Go to the next slide. We got a third magnet. Imagine those top two. One is so that its north pole is facing up, the other so its south pole is facing up. Okay? And you take this third magnet, and if somehow we could move this third magnet in exactly equidistant to the two, as you get it closer and closer and closer, what's going to happen? Yeah, so one of them, it's going to go like this. Right? The other one, what's going to happen? It's going to move away. Right? Every single time, that's what's going to happen. Here's my point, guys. That's what it's like with loving the world and loving God. That's what it's like with loving the world and loving God. We're the third magnet. And depending on which way our heart is flipped, we're either going to move toward the world or we're going to move toward God. But I can promise you this, we will not move toward both. It is impossible. That's why John says here, he says, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. We cannot love both. It'd be like trying to smush together two of the same poles of a magnet. They just don't go together. So I was talking to a friend of mine about this this week, and he said it so well. He's like, this is our first point. He said, obedience to God is defiance to the world. You ever think about that? Obedience to God is defiance to the world. I think that says it so well. I love that. I cannot be obedient to both. I have to choose which one that I want to live in obedience to. If I want to love and follow Jesus and live in obedience to him, I have to live in defiance to the world. I have to live in defiance to the world. Make sense? All right, so maybe this weekend you walk in here and you're like, Jeff, listen, I, I get what you're saying about a battle. I feel like I'm in a battle too. I feel it every day. Here's the problem. I feel like I'm choosing the world instead of choosing God. I know myself. I am not that strong. I'm weak. I mess up. 
I make mistakes, I struggle, I hurt people. Like you don't understand my background. I have had a rough upbringing, a rough family. I got struggles. In fact, I've been struggling all my life. I got problems, Jeff. Maybe that's how you walk in here this morning. That's what you feel. Well, I hear you and I have good news for you. Ready? Here's the good news. Here's the second point. We can overcome the attraction of the world. In the battle that you face every day and I face every day, we can overcome the attraction of the world. I don't know where you're at this weekend. I don't know what you walked in with. Maybe you walked in here and you're feeling strong and committed to Jesus. Like, yeah, man, my life is good. I'm, I am folk, laser focused on him. Or maybe you walked in here this weekend feeling weak and discouraged. You might be feeling like, like the world is winning. You know, it's got you up against the ropes and it is just beating the pulp out of you. Listen, tell yourself this morning, I can overcome the world. I can tell yourself, I can overcome the attraction of the world. It's okay to talk to ourselves. It's not that weird. We all do it, right? Tell, tell yourself, I can overcome the world. We can. I can and you can. We've got to believe that. If we don't believe it, we're going to go through life defeated, discouraged, and beat down. We just will. We'll be like Eeyore. Remember Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? Remember, yeah? No one liked Eeyore, right? Eeyore's all, life's terrible. Probably never gonna get better. I guess I'll just have to live with it. Probably wouldn't make a difference if I tried to do anything anyway. Don't be Eeyore, <laughs> right? You can overcome the world. You can experience victory in this life, but it starts with believing that it's possible. <coughs> You and I have to believe that we could overcome. Now, maybe you're like, yeah, Jeff, but you're not listening. Like, I know myself. I am weak. I have issues. I have good reason to, to not believe that I can actually overcome this world. Well, if that's what you say, I'm glad that you brought that up because you're right, and I agree. I, too, have lots of reasons to believe that I will never be able to overcome this world. And you know what? If it were just dependent on me and my strength, I promise you I would not be able to overcome this world. I would be another casualty of this world. But here's the good news, right? I'm not on my own and neither are you. In fact, we're kind of small players in the game. Like we got some responsibility for sure, but victory in our lives, overcoming in our life is definitely not just dependent on me. Let me prove it to you. You're, you're in chapter 2 of 1 John. Flip two chapters over to chapter 4, okay? Chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 4. So this is kind of like right in the middle of some stuff. So John's talking about testing the spirits here. He's talking about overcoming the spirit of the Antichrist, which sounds weird. It's defined a little bit differently in Revelation than John does here. It's just overcoming those that are against Christ, that are Antichrist. But this is what he writes in verse 4. You'll get it. He says, You dear children are from God and have overcome them, have overcome those that are against Christ, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean when he says the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world? What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the Holy Spirit living inside of us. See, I can overcome temptations and struggle and sin in my life because Jesus overcame the world 
and he's on my side and he gives me his very spirit, the very spirit of God to live inside of me and give me power to overcome just like he overcame. This is our next point. Maybe you want to write this down. We can overcome the attraction of the world because God's spirit is greater. God's spirit is greater. Guys, I I hope this is as comforting to you as it is to me. When you and I choose to love and follow Jesus, he promises to give us his spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to live inside of us. And our job is to have fellowship, relationship with that spirit, with the spirit, and to give him leadership in our lives. Now, I know what you're thinking. I bet you're thinking, I don't feel like I have the spirit of God living inside of me. Seems like if I had God's spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of me, seems like I'd feel a little bit different. Are you sure that I got the spirit of God living inside of me? Well, see, here's the thing with the spirit. Let me, let me give you some, some, some truth that the Bible says with the spirit. He is our promised gift from God when you and I choose to love and follow Jesus. And he promises to seal us, to bind us in as God's child. You are, because of the Holy Spirit, you are sealed as God's child. And the Spirit is a guarantee of eternity, of our eternity, right? It's called a deposit guaranteeing our eternity with God one day. But we have to learn to hear and listen to his voice. And it's quiet sometimes. And we have to learn what it looks like to give him leadership in our lives. Listen, the spirit is not like a, a bull in the china shop of our hearts. That, that is not what the Holy Spirit is like. He doesn't just go in and go crazy and wreak havoc on our insides and take us over. The spirit is gentle with us. And I'm grateful for that. And we have to slow down our lives. We have to slow down our hearts in order to hear his still, small voice. And when we do that, he prompts us to let him lead. And I, and I tell you this, he will never take the reins of your heart by force. He will never take the reins of our lives if we're holding on tightly, not until we let go, not until we give him the reins. But if we never slow down, if we never listen to the spirit in our lives, then over time we will love God less. Hands down, fact, we will love God less and we will not give the spirit leadership in our lives. But when you give him the reins, which by the way is a day-by-day decision, a moment-by-moment decision, when you give him the reins, you better hold on tight because allowing the spirit leadership in our lives, it's not like a quiet stroll in the park. I mean, it is an exciting adventure. When we give the spirit leadership in our lives, it's not like, like we'll do things that maybe the world would say, because the ways of the God are different than the ways of the world, right? The world would say, that's crazy. That's ludicrous. Why would you do that? Why would you leave a campus, a beautiful campus in Norton that you love and that you like really enjoy being a part of to go out into the unknown to start something new in Barberton? That doesn't make sense. Sometimes when we follow the Spirit's lead, it doesn't make sense to us. But he's powerful to change us, to use us in incredible ways, to protect us and to help us overcome the world. We gotta listen to his voice. We gotta listen to that small voice and let go of the reins and give him leadership. So so let me recap. So I can't love God and the ways of the world. It's impossible, right? 
They teach opposite things. Impossible to love both. I can actually overcome the world, not because I'm super strong and disciplined or anything like that, but because of God's powerful spirit living inside of me, which, by the way, is greater and more powerful than the ruler of this world, than the enemy. Okay? So jump down to chapter 5. This is, where, this is the last part, then we'll end. Look at verse 1. He ends, John ends with two keys in overcoming the world in this life. R- really, there's a third key, by the way. Love is, is kind of the third thing. You'll see that all throughout here. Again, we're going to talk about that next week. But he gives us two other things that I think are absolutely imperative for us if we want to be people that overcome the battle that we all feel. This is what it says. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world only the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I, I don't know what you pull from there, what jumps out to you when you read that. For me, I, love is all over the place in there. Again, we'll talk about that next week. But there's two other things that just jump off the page in me. Faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. Let's talk about faith first. In verse 1, John says that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah, is the Savior, is born of God. They're God's child. Everyone who believes, right? Second part of verse 4, John essentially says that the victory that we have in Jesus in overcoming the world is through our faith. Our faith, our belief is key. Verse 5, he's very clear that only the one who believes, only the one who has faith that Jesus is the Son of God overcomes the world. There's just something about faith for us, right? There's just something about faith, trusting, believing, that allows us to overcome the world. And faith can be a tricky thing, you know? I wrestled for a long time growing up with faith. You know, I knew, I knew that I had to trust, that I had to believe in order to be made right with God. Like, I knew that at a young age. But I always wondered, did I believe enough? You know, like, is my, is my faith strong enough, you know? Because that's how faith works. Like sometimes it's strong. Like sometimes my faith is, is rock solid. It is super strong. And then other times I feel like it is incredibly weak. There's something about faith that allows us to overcome the power of this world, the attraction of this world. Here's, here's our next point. I can overcome the attraction of this world through my faith. So, so can I just share with you a little bit about faith, like what the Bible says about faith? Hebrews chapter 11 is kind of the, the big chapter on faith in the Bible. And so it talks about a lot of people in, in, in the Bible that have had like this incredible life-changing faith. But the first thing that it says kind of defines faith in verse 1. It says, it says this is what faith is. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. What is faith? It's confidence, it's assurance in what we hope for and what we do not see. That's what faith is. If we could see it, it's not faith, right? Confidence in what we hope for, assurance in what we don't see. Look at verse 6. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You want to please God with your life? Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Man, we want to be people that, that love God and follow God. 
to please God, we gotta be people of faith, right? I, I, I like how this guy David Well says it. He says, faith is a powerful motivator. When we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that we are who he says we are, and that our destiny is what, it, what he says it will be, then committing our lives to Christ is the only reasonable course of action. Like when I believe he is who he says he is, I am who he says I am, and the future is what he says it's going to be, when I actually believe that, when I have faith, it only makes sense to follow Jesus. It's the only reasonable course, to act, course of action. And faith, you know, sometimes we look at faith and we go, yeah, it's, it's this mental belief. It's this mental assent. Faith is not just a mental assent. It's not just a mental belief. It's a verb. Faith involves action. I believe, therefore I do. I believe, therefore I live. So like with the stool, I could say, yes, I believe there is a stool behind me. So what if I don't actually sit down, right? Faith becomes alive when we actually do something with it. James, in the book of James, he says that faith without action is dead. It's not just this occasional thought in my mind. It's a consistent belief that leads to action. So by faith, I believe that I can overcome the world because of God's spirit living inside of me and because Jesus overcame the world. Listen, when you're discouraged, trust. When, when you're feeling troubled, believe. When, when you feel like hopeless, when you feel unloved, think about the love that Jesus has for you. Think about the hope that he gives us for eternity and the hope that he gives us for victory in this life now. By faith, we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead and he's already overcome and he gives us the ability to overcome. But we gotta believe. We have to trust him in that. But John doesn't talk, just talk about faith. He talks about obedience. And this is where I'll end. Look, look back at verse one of chapter five. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. So last week we talked about sin, right? And we said we can never really understand the good news until we understand the bad news. I can never really understand how good and amazing it is what Jesus did for me at the cross until I realize just how much every part of my life is affected by sin. I will have no desire for Jesus or no interest in Jesus until I see my absolute need for Jesus, until I see my sinfulness. We talked about sin last week. Obedience is really the opposite of sin. And obedience is the norm in the life of a Christian. You know, sin is like, sin is like a glitch for us. Before we choose to love Jesus, before we choose to love and follow Christ, I'm a slave to sin. Like, I'm inclined to sin. That's my natural response to things. When I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me, that's not my natural response anymore. Now my natural response is obedience. Sin is like a glitch for me. And obedience is key for us in overcoming the world. Here's our last point. I can overcome the attraction of the world through my obedience. See, in Jesus, we're free. 
And, and that freedom doesn't mean that, you know, we're free to just like live however you want now. Yes, you're free. You're no longer a slave to sin. It means you're no longer a slave to sin. You're, that's not the natural response of our lives anymore. Now you're free to love and follow Jesus. God doesn't force us to be obedient. Instead, God gives us the freedom to choose obedience. And when we do, it is liberating. John says it's not burdensome to keep God's commands. It's actually how we show our love for God. It's how we show our faith in God. Because if I love him, I'm going to follow him. And I'm going to do what he tells me. Why? Because I love him. I trust him. And the things that he tells me, I trust are like the right way to do things. It's going to lead me to the best life possible here and now. That's why, that's why I'm obedient. I'm not obedient. Like, please don't walk out of here and go, yes, I have to be obedient. If not, God's going to get mad at me. That's not why we choose obedience. We do it because we go, I love him. He's the center of my life. I want to be like him. He shows me how to live. I want to live like he lives, like he lived. See, some, sometimes, some of us struggle with obedience because we want to do it our way. We've been taught in our lives that independence is king, right? I am a strong, independent person. I'm going to do things my way, and I'm strong enough to live with the conclusions, the consequences, when my way isn't the best way. Can I, can I just be honest with you? That is stupid. Like, that, that is That is stupid. That is not strength, that's selfishness. And it's nothing about what the Bible describes as a godly life. That, that strong, independent life, I'm gonna do it my way and I'll live with the consequences. That's a life of meaninglessness. That's a life without purpose. And that's a life that in the end will lead to failure. Can I challenge you, don't, don't toy with disobedience with God. You know, it's not a game. We said earlier, we said our lives are always affecting other people. And we cannot, we cannot kind of follow Jesus. You know, like, yeah, I'm kind of a Christian, you know. I kind of follow him. It doesn't work that way. A divided heart won't last very long. It's like the magnets, right? I will go to one side or the other. When we trust, we obey. When we trust, God transforms us and he frees us from slavery to sin and he empowers us and he impassions us, he motivates us to obey him. But we're not robots, you and I. Like, we have to choose to obey. I have the choice and I have to choose to obey. I have to choose to live to G for Jesus and I have to choose to allow his spirit to work through me and change me. So I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna invite the band to, to come on up here as I wrap up. Maybe you sit here this morning and you're troubled, you know? Maybe you walked in and you're discouraged. You feel like you're, you're like in the thick of battle all the time and you're losing the battle. Because I believe, one of the things that we absolutely believe here at Grace Church is that Jesus, no matter what your life has been like, Jesus is the key to life. Whether my life has been really good and I've not made a whole lot of mistakes and I've been a very moral person, I've been a kind person, or my life has been rotten and it's been filled with mistakes, Jesus is the key to life for every single one of us. John would challenge you, and First John, and I would challenge you this morning, to pursue Christ. There's nothing greater that we could do. Pursuing him answers all of the questions that we have. 
It deals with all of the problems and struggles that we deal with in this life. And I got to challenge you to believe that you can overcome the world, not by your own strength, but because of the strength of the one who lives inside of you if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, the one who's greater than this world. And I got to challenge you to believe, to have faith, and to have obedience. I believe so much and I love Jesus so much that my life is going to look like his. I want to live the way that he told me to live. And when we do that, guys, we can overcome. And here's the coolest thing. We get to do it together. We're not alone with it. Of course, God is with us, but we also have each other. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing.